This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast, a production of the Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler, here every week to give you a non-prescription jo- dose of your favorite free, completely legal, but not FDA-approved medicine. I'm joined today by my friend, Teneme Kone, second-year med student. Hey, what's up, Dave? Teneme, you have brought some people in who are participating in the Summer Health Professions Education Program, or SHPEP. It's a very sexy acronym. Uh, <laughs> welcome, y'all. Uh, tell me... First, where are you from and what schools do you go to there? Okay, my name is Aja Coleman. I attend the University of Iowa and I'm from Chicago. My name is Ahane Kage. I am from Silver Spring, Maryland. I attend Syracuse University. Go Orange. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Kirsten Grismer. Um, uh, I'm a military kid, so we move almost every year, but I go to school at Baylor University. Second Bears. My name is Margaret Mungai. Uh, I'm from Des Moines, Iowa, and I attend the University of Iowa. Fantastic. What's going on, Taname? Right, so um, one of the things we kind of read before this podcast was concerning LGBTQ healthcare. Um, I'm just kind of curious if you guys read anything that kind of like stuck out to you in the article. The, the article was titled Improving the Healthcare of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender People. Understanding and Eliminating Health Disparities. Did anything jump out to you guys? So what was interesting to me was that... Uh, being LGBT, identifying like with that community, it was seen as a disease up until 1973. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, they do not get the same regular like, you know, um, health care and the same um, type of consistency with health providers as, you know, straight people do get. And that made me that reminded me of um, Love and Hip Hop. Uh, yeah, if you guys watch that, I love the reality shows. <laughs> um, and there was this one guy on it. I forgot his name. I think his name was like Jonathan. And he said that his mom had sent him to a uh, conversion camp um, because she did see it as like a disease. And, you know, it like brought back tears that like his mom like would kind of like betray him in that way because like, you know, it's your mom. Like she's supposed to be there for you. So. Yeah, I also I saw um towards the bottom of the article was saying that um even still today transgender is considered like a disorder like a mental disorder whereas um the rest of the lgbt um like the rest of those in the acronym are not so i thought that was i didn't know that that was definitely interesting for me yeah i found it interesting how even today there's like a negative bias towards them even with coming to get medically treated they're often pushed off to the side or they're looked at in a negative light instead of just people who have the same issues that I might have being straight, but they don't get that same respect. I kind of was like curious on like how much like in medis- medical school they cover the competency for like LGBT. Like, do they do like a lot of it, or how does they usually go? Um, there's there's so much to kind of cover in medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, even though like I think we have a couple lectures in the first year, and even though that that doesn't sound like it's a priority, there's so many things that only get one lecture just because there's so many things to begin with but with that said i i still i still feel like iowa does make it a priority as much as it can in terms of the reality of you know there's only there's only so many lectures so much time i in my opinion it does feel like it is a priority here one way one way that we know it's a priority at iowa is that um, iowa has uh an lgbtq plus uh clinic that was uh, created, co-created by one of our graduates, um, Dr. Katie Imbarak, and uh, her mentor, Nicole Nisley. And you can do a rotation on that clinic, and I've heard that it's, uh, it's pretty powerful. One of the things I know um, Dr. Imbarak um, has pointed out is that a lot of the care of LGBTQ plus people is very much the same as the care of 
you know, it's, it's not like technically different in a lot of ways. Um, the only one you could really say is very different is, is um, caring for, uh, for trans people. And even then, we know a lot about, you know, for instance, if they wanted hormone therapy, we know a lot about how hormone therapy works. Um, it works no differently in trans people than it would be in somebody who's getting, say, hormone therapy uh, after, uh, because they are postmenopausal or something like that. Um, I don't know if that's the right example, but, you know, so, um, so that I found discussing that with her really interesting. And, um, and I think it's a huge opportunity at Iowa to, um, to sort of get involved in that clinic as, during your clinical rotations. Yeah. Something else I was find interesting about the article was how they kind of, um, identified the groups they're going to talk about. So in, instead of saying, um, you know, gay or bisexual, they used men who have sex with men and women who have sex with women. And they, they gave some numbers. I forgot what the numbers were exactly, but there's there was a significant amount of men who have reported having sexual encounters with men, but they themselves did not identify as being bi or gay. So I think having a more inclusive term was also very helpful in understanding um, kind of where where these things like how how they affect the community. It's it's not just gay people or straight people or bisexual people who who have this. It's it's kind of like everybody in a way because there's a lot of there there's a lot of fluidity in between your sexual identity and then also how you express that in terms of behavior as well. Um, once one statistic they gave that that was pretty interesting was the fact that they estimated that HIV HIV uh, prevalence um, with men who have sex with men in urban areas was as high as like 28% in the US which is like which is like staggering because if you if you compare that to the the overall prevalence of HIV in the general population it's like a third of a percent so like in one population it's like 28% but overall it's like a third of a percent I thought it was just that was just crazy um, to me do they say anything about how that's changed over time? Do you remember, you guys? Yeah. Um, so it's, I believe it's held steady or barely gone down in most of the cohorts, but among young black men, it's actually gone up. I, I asked because, um, you know, in the beginning, uh, nobody knew what caused AIDS took some time to figure that out. It was originally considered a disease, a, you know, a, a gay disease. Um, and then it became known that, you know, anybody could get it. And then, you know, there was a lot of education, there was a lot of education, um, around HIV and AIDS in the eighties and nineties. And now that we have, you know, sort of effective treatments that prolong the lives of people with HIV and AIDS and, and potentially even just basically suspend the course of the disease. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, you know, I, I guess I was wondering if it had, if it had dipped and then gone back up as people were like, Oh, well, this isn't a big deal anymore. It's a manageable disease like, uh, you know, diabetes or some other chronic illness. I didn't look at a lot of the current data, uh, 2017, 2018, but I saw up to like 2012, 2011, and I think it had essentially le leveled off, like in general. But it had, but there was a 50 percent, a 50 percent uptick um, with people of color, most most notably young black males. Uh, yeah. Do you guys think it still carries the 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 stigma of being a um, a disease that only affects people? Who are gay? I would say to a certain extent, I feel that some people still have like that stigma in their head. So, especially with how people are educated about that or how they believe that that disease works, and I feel that it is kind of up to well, not up to us that are in the medical field to kind of make sure that they get that education, that information, and those resources so that they're more aware about it. But I definitely think that that stigma needs to change because it can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. I just was curious if, you know, if, if that had changed from my day when we learned about HIV to, to today. I mean, I mean, I do think it has changed somewhat, at least compared to probably your day. Like we, the stigma is definitely there still, but probably to a lesser degree than mm -hmm. what you yeah. experienced. 
Definitely. It must have because it was exclusively a gay disease when when we first learned about it as far as as far as anybody knew, so. So the other thing we kind of talked about before the show was the Iowa Harm Reduction Coalition. Um, what, did, what did you guys, were you guys surprised at what you learned or intrigued? Yeah, so I had never actually heard of this before, so I found it really interesting. Um, it was definitely something that I'd never been exposed to before or heard about. So the idea um, of preventing HIV through the use of providing clean needles was, I think that's really beneficial to people who need those resources. I feel like a lot of um, states kind of have these um, different like organizations that work towards these needs, but it isn't really brought to the limelight. You kind of see the issue as still being there. But I think like once you do your research and stuff and you do recognize that, you know, states have these like opportunities for people to, you know, avoid these illnesses that, you know, are very bad. So I didn't hear about it either prior to this. So I found it really interesting when I did like come across the website and see that it's trying to um kind of lower those like discrepancies amongst you know gender and class and race i was also kind of like shocked when i read about um the part where like syringes are like exchanging syringes is like illegal in iowa because like i would think with like the data that they're showing that um the people that get these clean needles are more likely to get drug treatment that they would change the law but it's still not legal in iowa and that's crazy yeah, we, um, I don't know if Tenemay told you, but we, we did have a discussion with uh, Sarah Ziegenhorn um, and some others on um, her efforts in founding the Iowa Harm Reduction um, Coalition um, a while back. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes at theshortcode.com so, um, so you can check that out at some point. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, like it's clearly been, I think people are becoming receptive to it in Iowa. I think they're having success in you know having people you know rethink uh needle exchange programs um but yeah it's been a it's I, but and 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 really i mean sarah's done a tremendous sarah and her organization done a tremendous job in just a short amount of time i mean i don't think i think it's rare to see any movement in social attitudes about such about such things that carry such a such a strong stigma um in such a short amount of time um and they've really you know to the extent that they've made progress they've done a really tremendous job one thing that also kind of like intrigued me was the fact that they were offering fentanyl test strips and something i never would have thought to even think about doing but it's actually really impactful because if you're if if you're if you're using drugs um, that have the possibility of having fentanyl in them, it'd be good for you to know that because you don't want to like inadvertently overdose on a drug that that's so powerful. Yeah. So it it kind of it kind of adds more safety to the to the drug use, which I think at the end of the day is is going to save lives, which is the ultimate goal. You know, one of the things that we should point out about the Iowa Harm Reduction Coalition, if you're not familiar with it, is that it doesn't. It, I mean, what they do is actually in the name, harm reduction. It's not fixing, it, it's not, um, I don't think it's about, f uh, it's not about fixing the underlying problem, whatever those are, because that's a much wider problem, you know, you know, the socioeconomic class, um, uh, things that, things that we can't as individuals fix, but it is focusing on reducing the harms associated with these behaviors. And I don't know, I feel like that's an important distinction to point out, you know, like, like you're taking the harm of using drugs and reducing that so that the, so that everybody in Iowa is protected from the effects. And, you know, just cause one person doesn't, just cause one person uses drugs doesn't mean that the effects of that are combined are confined to that one person you know that spreads out in many different directions you have the you know you have the spread of infection you have um uh you have you have crime you have um you know all sorts of different effects that ripple outward from that person and so their point is to sort of contain that harm um to the extent possible and also give people if i interpret their mission correctly give people time instead of dying give people time to seek treatment 
um, to sort of give them that room because you can't convince somebody to get treatment. You have to wait for them to be ready for it. Well, I, uh, I was talking to Sarah and there was one uh, common criticism she told me that she kind of runs into a lot, which people will say, um, you know, well, 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 this costs money. Should we, should we be paying for this? You know, is there a better way to, to uh, spend the money? And one point that she said that I thought was a very good point um, was that it, it only costs about like a couple of cents to get someone a clean a clean needle. If people are using dirty needle and sharing needles, that's going to increase the spread of infectious disease. And having one person getting treated for hepatitis C or HIV, whatever, like that's going to be a much bigger burden on the healthcare system than just preventing that infection in the first place. Just giving them a ten cent needle, you know, a couple times a week or however much that that, that they need. So in the the long run, long run, it's actually a cost-effective way to do this, not necessarily a waste of money that needs to be, you know, should we do this or should we not do this? It's actually going to save the state money in the long run after all. And this is something a lot of people don't get about public health efforts, um, especially public health efforts that work with people who are sort of on the margins of society. Um, people don't understand that you can spend less money over here and affect more people than you can by, say, I don't know, prosecuting people or even just letting them die. <laughs> you know, like that costs money. You know, so if you're going to look at it strictly from a financial standpoint, which you, one shouldn't, right, I think, um, then you still have to, if you're being logical about it, then you still have to look at it as a win because the amount of money you spend over here can affect a much larger number of people than just by focusing your attention on one situation or one aspect of a situation. Um, that's really interesting. So I actually had um, like a phone conversation with a like very like, you know, accomplished nurse yesterday and uh, we were talking and she was like, yeah, it's really like weird and kind of like a waste of money of how um, like a nurse and a doctor, like they're able to do a lot of the similar things, but a patient might have to just see a doctor to like get a prescription or get a like MRI, which then ends up like making them like spend more money because they have to go see them for that specialty when a nurse can sometimes even do that same procedure which could like eliminate like the costs that some people have to pay as well so I guess that's like a problem that you could say is within the whole medical field um, that could probably be fixed in the future if people see necessary I would agree I mean there's lots of inefficiencies in medicine you know like it just like any organization of people um, there's lots of inefficiencies there's lots of turf protecting there's lots of um, situations where, you know, it would make sense to, and I, and I think states are, many states are moving in these directions. Um, I mean, that was why, that was one reason why, uh, PAs were invented way back when I was a kid. And that's one of the reasons why they were created. Um, I'm sure that nurse practitioners, licensed nurse practitioners were another, re were, were a part of this movement to take some of the pressure off the doctor and, and eliminate some of the costs associated. But Still, there's a lot of turf protecting and, well, we should, you know, we should be able to do that, not those other people over there, you know, that, um, and it's also, it also comes down to, um, it also comes down to payers, you know, a lot of this is driven by insurance companies, um, and, you know, so they have a role to, to play that too. But it's a good observation because, um, one of the things that you'll be tasked with, you know, as a healthcare professional someday is figuring out you know, how to, how to control costs, whether it seems like your job or not. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I'm the doctor. Why the hell should I have to know about, you know, this, that, or the other thing? I just want to know about medicine, but for better or for worse, that's the position that you might be in. Hey, you know what we didn't ask? What, what health profession y'all were interested in going into? Um, so as of right now, I am interested in gynecology and like the obstetrics part as well. Mm -hmm. um, what's also catching my interest is like the surgery stuff. So like plastic surgery is kind of interesting to me right now. So if I can at least like, you know, get the opportunity to put my foot in um, with someone that is a surgeon to see if it's something that is really like um, up my alley, like that would be nice. Yeah, that's good. Keep your options open. Yeah. What about you, you guys? I'm really interested in pediatric oncology right now. I just find cancer and cancer research itself to be very unique and interest interesting to me um and then i just love kids in general so yeah they have very imaginative and creative thought processes that i feel like sometimes go unlooked or just pushed off to the side because they are kids but we can learn a lot from them actually yeah 
I'm kind of on the other end of the spectrum here. I'm she hates looking, children. <laughs> no, no, I love uh, children, but I'm I'm free dental, not free med. Okay. So, um, I don't know if I want to specialize yet, but I do think prosthodontics is really interesting to me. So, they used to do a lot more facial reconstruction. So, say someone um, had cancer and had to have their nose removed, they mm. can make like a fake nose. But more recently, it's um, like targeted more just towards the mouth and like the oral cavity. So, like um, making prosthodontic teeth or denture stuff like that cool so it's more like outside you're working the lab more creating things not so much inside people's mouths okay i'm keeping an open mind but um so senior year of high school i did shadowing all over like the hospital and most of the things that i enjoyed were like more based on the heart so i was thinking um cardiovascular surgeon it's really good to like you know um question yourself question what you want to do and then don't be afraid to Go out and look for the answer. So I, I actually had a question for myself the other day earlier this week. Um, so I, I live in Iowa City. I'm in downtown Iowa City, you know, probably a couple times a week. And whenever you're, you're, you're down there, you see people who are on the street and they're asking for money. And I think me, like most people, we just kind of like ghost by them and not really interact with them all that much. And so I just I just kind of thought, you know, like what if, what if someone actually like talked to them and kind of heard what they had to say? And so that's that's what I did. I I went downtown. I I got some cash. I wanted to pay them for their time. I didn't want to feel like I was like cutting into their day. And so I just talked to some people. So I have some of their stories here. So what were you most concerned about when you were contemplating doing this? I I was I I was most concerned with just kind of getting it started because I didn't want to be like that guy and i i also didn't want to make them wait what guy i didn't want to just like be like some guy who was just getting in their way because because uh, like a lot of these people they 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 rely on what money they get and if someone is like hanging around you maybe they feel like they'll get less money and i didn't want them to feel bad due to my interaction so i wanted to make sure i, I, I could give them something for the time that i would spend so it would kind of help you know offset any loss of revenue I don't know. And then I was also, also just kind of afraid of like uh, insulting people too. Like, like I, I, I don't want to come across as like being pitying either, but also still being compassionate, you know? So just a, a lot, a lot, a lot of laser beams to navigate. I think it's complicated because I, I think it probably varies within like where you are. Um, the ones that I have encountered, you know, sometimes you offer to like buy them a meal at McDonald's or you offer them cash and they sometimes get mad and say like they, that the cash isn't what they want. So maybe they have other motives behind it. But I was always raised like my mother always told us, like, you know, you give money to whoever and however they spend it, let that be. But just as long as you know, like you did the right thing and you're happy that you did that, that's all that matters. But I think just the fact that you do come across some of the homeless people that probably do not use their money wisely that's also why people are very um you know reluctant to give them their money because they feel like it's not going towards mm -hmm. a proper cause yeah i think that's definitely a very common thing people think um but i i, I have I, I have two encounters to share with you guys i'll start with the first one we can talk about the one and the second one so um i i did change their names for the sake of privacy i did not tell them that I was recording them and I wasn't recording them because I wasn't sure. I don't want them to like feel like they would they have to change where they talk. But I also didn't want to like record them without their permission either. So I'm changing uh, the name for sake of their privacy. <clears throat> okay, so Chuck was my first encounter on my stroll through downtown Iowa City. He identified as a disabled war veteran. He was sitting on the street in a walker with a sign and a cup. During our conversation, Chuck spoke slowly, deliberately, and with hearty pauses. Chuck was on the street helping to raise money to pay for his mother-in-law's medical bills who lives in Ghana. Some days are good, some days are bad, he said. I, I asked him, how long do you think you'll have to keep doing this for? He thought, paused, and said, honestly, I'm not sure. Chuck was also the victim of a check bouncing that left him $1,000 in the hole. Chuck explained that a friend of his asked him to cash a check for him from his lawyer. Chuck is in the process of contacting the, the lawyer who has yet to return his calls. Finally, I asked Chuck if there was anything he would like to he would like folks to know about him. He thought, paused, and said, "I just want people to know that we ain't, we ain't all we ain't all homeless. Some folks look at me like I'm a plague, you know. There are other reasons. There are other reasons people come out here and ask for money. I just want folks to remember that." You know what strikes me about that is that 
Um, I mean, I think part of the reason people don't pay attention to uh, the homeless or people, you know, street people is essentially because they subconsciously or consciously think there, but for the grace of God, go I, you know, like, and there's some, a little bit of superstition involved in, in, in this, like, like, you know, I don't want to acknowledge that this is, that this could happen to me. Um, and what Chuck's story points out is that, you know, a lot of us are basically a thousand bucks away from, um, having our world's tumble down around us and that's not an easy thing to think about um so i suspect that's one reason why people shy away from the topic and shy away from people is because it makes it makes them legit nervous you know for themselves um i find it interesting that chuck mentioned that we have to remember that they aren't all out on the street because they are homeless i feel like there's a lot of stigmas and stereotypes of oh you chose this lifestyle or this happened to you because you didn't do x y or z but we have to understand that we see them in this light, but we don't know what got them there or the full story. Like I'm from Chicago. So it was a specific time that a young woman, she came up to me and, you know, sometimes they ask for money just in general. And sometimes they have specific reasons. And she honestly just wanted someone to buy her sanitary pads because she was just outside and like she wasn't clean. And so I found that even, even though sometimes some of them ask for specific things, like that's, that's good. We may say like, Oh, we think you should do this with your money, but if they need it for this reason, then this is helping them like enhance their lives. So I think that that was good that Chuck mentioned how we aren't just out here homeless. Some of us just need more resources or we need help or support. And I think like even the people who have the least are the most willing to give. Like Chuck is homeless and here he is out asking for money to support his mother. Like he could be saving money trying to get himself, you know, like, a nice or place to live or some food but yet he's collecting the money for someone other than himself and i think that goes to show like i mean most of the time the people in the world who have the least are the most willing to give and the most grateful yeah that's a good observation because i think uh, research has shown that uh, the more income you have the less likely percentage-wise you are to donate your income to uh, charity or to worthy causes and which is, I mean, you know, that's super sad when you think about it. I mean, I guess at its base, it's, it's, it's human condition. I don't, I mean, can we ascribe that to America? Can we ascribe that to any one kind of person? I'm not sure we could like, because the data shows that as you get more money, you know, even if you didn't start off with money, as you get more money, you tend to decrease your spending on these, on other people. I think it's weird, but part of me says it makes sense because yeah. people are weird yeah definitely going off that i think like once you earn like a very high um living and you're pretty wealthy a lot of the times people have the mindset like i earned this this is mine yeah. whereas the people who are um not as well off obviously they're just grateful that they even have a job grateful that they have enough income to support themselves and maybe their family so they're more willing to support other people too because they have that mindset but also they're just capable they're, they're just in a position where they understand right yeah. you know what other people are going through perhaps to go off of that i've actually like watched some simulations like on youtube and stuff and uh there was someone that like purposefully like dropped like a hundred and around like a homeless man and he actually like went and returned it to him so like it's just stuff like that so as you said like people who are more wealthy are less likely to give um it's kind of like i have so much to lose so like yeah. there's no reason why I'm giving. So homeless people, like, you know, they already are living life like for its simplest values and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah, I didn't have anything to begin with. I don't mind not having anything because I'm still enjoying life and still living day by day. Yeah. That was great. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll give you guys my second encounter here. John was laying down on the street. He was dressed in all black under the hot sun. He tiredly called out to me, excuse me, sir, but do you have a few dollars? I've got one already, but I just need a few more to give me some food. I said, no problem. I handed him some cash. John sprang up and thanked me. I introduced myself. I told him I was a medical student, and he also shared some of his history with me. John is the oldest of five children, currently 29. He used to live in Chicago before moving to Iowa City five years ago to be closer to his mother, who since passed three years ago. John explained that his mother had died while in jail. 
she was only brought in on, on a misdemeanor. She told the officers she needed to get her heart medication, but they told her not to worry about it and that she'd be out soon. Looking down, John continued, she died after three days in jail. She had heart disease, man. The whole situation mess, mess, messed me up, man. I haven't been able to hold a job since, but I think I'm ready now. I'm just waiting to get my ID in the mail, then I'm going to start working as much as I can. I'm behind on my rent now, but I'll, I'll, but maybe I'll be able to keep my home if things work, works out. I asked John if he had any family in Iowa City that he could lean on. He explained that since his mother's death, his brothers and sisters have gotten closer. We ain't used to talk much, but now we do. We talk more. It's been tough, but I'm ready to get back to work. I, I asked John, if you could have any job right now, what would it be? He smiled, rubbed his hands together, and said, well, if I could have any job, I'd be delivering furniture or really anything else. I just like using my muscles and seeing people smile when I bring them their package. If I could do that all day, I'd be happy. Oh, that does sound nice. <laughs> Someone better get John a job delivering yeah. packages. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I think a lot of times, or so I I volunteer in Waco um, at the soup kitchen and. After we just serve the food, we can sit down and eat with the people. So there's this one family that I'll talk to a lot. And they're not homeless, but um, they still come to the homeless shelter. And this is kind of like John's case. Like he was saying he does have a job, or I mean a house, but he's behind on rent. But in a case like this, you have to pick between food and a house. So a lot of homeless people are homeless because they're spending their money on like food maybe, whereas other people may not be homeless, but they don't have money to eat because they're spending their money on a house. So in John's case, where he was asking for money for food, where he has a house, I mean, we don't hear the term like foodless, like you would hear homeless. But I think it's just, it's hard. I mean, those are two things you basically need every day, shelter and food. And to pick just one of those two is always going to be a hard decision. I guess it's fair to say that the jail, um, like, you know, medical attention, like, needs to be improved. Um, often you're like, okay, these people in jail, like, they're either there for life or, you know, they're, like, serving, like, you know, some serious sentences. So I feel like um, we kind of assume that these people do not deserve the same type of care as we do because, oh, you put yourself there, like, you deserved it. Um, but I definitely feel like it needs to be enhanced. Uh, yeah, I suspect it's also... Um certain amount of cynicism on the part of the people in charge at jails and prisons who are like, well, this, they're probably faking it just to, you know, get some time out of the, out yeah. of the prison. I, I don't know that that's true, but if, <laughs> you know, for better or for worse, it feels right. Um, that that's, that that's possible in some cases. Um, but yeah, I mean, for sure the health disparities among people, uh, among incarcerated people are just tremendous. So I've got two last questions for you guys. It's FEP related. So if you could change anything about FEP, what would it be? Tenemei Kone should probably quit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go first, I guess. So every Tuesday we break off and go to our respective schools. So I'll go to the dental school on Tuesday. Um, I always look forward to Tuesdays. Like it's one of my favorite days of the week, just because we can interact with the faculty and students there. But I think I would like the opportunity to do a little bit more shadowing. I know as part of the um, funding for this program, it's required that only five percent of the time goes toward shadowing. But I think that would definitely be beneficial if we could get more time, just to help us like have a look into all the different specialties and professions. Whereas, I mean, outside a university, you don't have the opportunity to have all the specialties in one place whereas if we had more time here we could actually see all the specialties and they're all just so close and convenient so i think that's an opportunity that we should definitely try to take advantage of yeah um just going off what kirsten said i think that something that i would maybe change or add is more time for us to spend with um the track that's outside of ours so this past tuesday we were able to do switch week so I participated on the dentistry track, which Kirsten is a part of. And me being in pre-med, I would never think that I would want to be a dentist or go into dentistry, but actually having that hands-on um, activity and seeing how science and art is really like connected in dentistry, like that really kind of like attracted my attention, like caught my eye. So I think just having more hands-on experience or information provided, well, just hands-on experience in each track would kind of be cool and fun. 
I agree. I definitely enjoyed the dentistry um, exposure yesterday. Um, it was very like relaxing. Like I haven't done like an art class in a while. You know, <laughs> you're consumed in these science classes that just make you want to cry every second. Um, <laughs> but back to Chappep, something that I would change. Uh, to be honest, I'd probably you know add more break time because I sometimes want to sleep. Mm-hmm. And by the time I head back to where uh, we like doormat, uh, I close my eyes and then open them and it's already time for me to head back out. <laughs> so there's no time for me to nap and it's long days, but it gets better. <laughs> I agree with that. I think more of like ending the program a little earlier. So instead of like five, maybe we get out like three so we could have more time to like um, talk to each other, hang out with each other, do activities. Because I feel like at five, it's like almost really late and just eating and then sleeping. So it's not a lot of time to do anything else. Yeah. Great. Second question is, how has Shpep changed you? Oh, I love this question. Okay, so <laughs> I've been thinking about this. She's like, like jumping right on. I've been thinking about this all summer, like just like self-reflecting. So like, I feel like Shpep has changed me because I've definitely gained more self-confidence. Um, not only in my science courses, but just like me as a person and as a young adult growing up, I feel like, well, in sciences, um, going to a PWI, so a predominantly white institution and being African-American, sometimes I have that self-doubt of do I know it or, you know, maybe they understand it better than me or am I really up to par with everyone else in my class? And so being in Chappep and having like a community of people who understand what I'm going through and who are still so different from me but having that support system is great and then just taking risks this summer has been great and boosting my self-confidence I've been happy in this safe space here I definitely agree with her um it has boosted my self-confidence uh you know struggling with the science courses I'm entering my junior year um, I often get discouraged I'm like oh my gosh like I'm not as good as my peers I also go to a predominantly white institution so being able to be exposed to all these different career paths that are within medicine that I wasn't necessarily exposed to um in my institution or back home um was very like eye-opening and um, often I, I see that, yeah, I have struggled. So my path to medicine, like getting into medical school is not exactly the golden path that you hear of everyone taking. So coming into this program and having these speakers that all like took different paths to get to where they are today, it's like very inspiring. It's like, yeah, you can get there, like mm-hmm. no matter like how long it may take you or although it might not be the straight and narrow, like you can get there. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of going off that too, I think this program has definitely um, made me realize that there will be a way, like no matter what my dream is, I will always be able to find a way. And they've just given us so many different um, like options to look at getting there, whether it be like um, doing research or like taking a gap year, which I didn't even know would be possible, or just all these opportunities for scholarships and stuff like that, that they've shown us and given us the materials to take advantage of, I think has been extremely helpful. Um, and especially with networking too, like when else am I ever going to have the opportunity to talk to nine different um, dental specialists as well as the admissions team? So I think that just has been super helpful. Um, and also just building relationships with all the students here. We have a group chat and I know like after <laughs> this program ends, we'll all be texting and, you know, talking about when we go to apply, um, how's it going for everyone? And just we're there to help each other out. So I think also this sense of community is something that I will forever cherish. So. And just to add on that, um, I agree with the whole networking thing. Um, as a first generation, with nobody in my family being a physician, like I have no access to like this type of people who are physicians or admissions directors. So like having the exposure to that was amazing. And then also like the one on one with Dr. Martinez and just like sitting down with her for like thirty minutes and like just talking about your pathways and like what's the best way to like maneuver through the, like the whole medical pathway. I just thought it was amazing, and so definitely impacted me so we're gonna get things started with, with a game here um it's kind of like mafia but with more healthcare related titles so we, we have a couple roles here so the first role will be the disease and it's the diseases uh job to kill a, a player every round so one of our players here is the disease they already know who they are the other role is the patient uh if this person dies the game is instantly over in which case the disease and the hospital administrator win the game. The next role is the department head. The department head uh, can attempt to cure the disease once they identify it before it can kill someone for that round. And if they successfully do this, then their remaining players win. And then the other role is the attending. The, the attending can protect um, one person for the duration of the whole game for one night. 
So they can attempt to inoculate the uh, player from the disease. Patient. Pa- patient. Oh, oh, the other. Oh, yeah, the patient. Any, any of the players. Yeah, the, the patient. Yeah, the patient is a player. All right. And then the last role is the hospital administrator. The hospital administrator knows the role of every other player, and if they are um, approached by the department head, they are compelled to tell the players in the game who who is actually carrying the disease. All right. I, I hope this goes well. All right. So how the game's going to work is we're going to have a day phase and a night phase. During the day, it'll be about a minute and a half. The players are free to talk, converse, strategize. And then when night comes, everyone will have their heads down. And then first I will ask the attending if they would like to protect someone this round. If not, they can keep their heads down. Then I will ask Then I will ask the, the disease who they would like to kill for that round. And then they will look at the person they want to kill. Meanwhile, everyone will still have their heads down. Once the night is over, we'll look up and we'll have another round of discussion with presumably one person dead. All right, let's get it going. Your, your guys' time starts now, so start deliberating. All right. Oh man, this is gonna be tough. <laughs> How are we gonna... Okay, so the person with the disease, could it be, is it just us four, or are you guys in this too? Everyone is involved besides me. Okay. okay. So Dave, you have a role in this. Oh. Okay. Oh, right. that might, that might be a game changer. I do. I forgot that wiggling my eyebrows doesn't come across on an audio <laughs> podcast for a second there. <laughs> Wiggles eyebrows. I've only, <laughs> I've only been doing this for eight years. You know, you get to cut me a little slow. <laughs> yeah. What is there to deliberate? I'm going to win regardless. Oh, oh wow! Oh. Okay, Bold. so she is all right. Either the attending or <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, okay, so well, well, uh, I will point out that uh, Kirsten was the first one to jump in and start talking. Oh, too soon, Dave. What does that? <laughs> what does, does that, that mean say about you? <laughs> Well, she's quiet, and she had those questions when he was explaining it at first. Well, Margaret was quiet. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I'm not hiding Are you, are you hiding something? <laughs> and she hmm. couldn't fix the mic by herself. Wait, wait, so hold I don't know on. I, I, was also quiet. <laughs> I was just quiet, too. Hey, don't worry about me over here. All good. Uh, gosh. <laughs> Did you assign these to, to people based on their personal qualities? I tried to assign them based on a part of the personality I hadn't seen. So I wanted them to kind of like <laughs> step oh. outside their... Oh. So, so the psychic going to have to be... I mean, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Interesting. So if you dis- assign the... Oh, okay. So it's going to be someone who's not likely to be a killer. But I feel like we're all pretty innocent. Yeah, I agree. Super I guilty. <laughs> all right. Time's up. Heads, heads down. Everyone's heads down. First, I would like the attending, the person who can protect someone, to look up if they would like to save someone this round. If not, keep your head down. All right, now for the disease. I need you to look at the person you want to kill for this round. All right, heads down. Heads up. I'm sorry to inform you. But Margaret has been slain. You guys! <laughs> wow! Wow, guys! <laughs> the disease has taken no prisoners. <laughs> and the attending was not very good at his, her, her job. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so... So do we know who got saved or is that not... No. Okay. The the attending chose to not protect someone that round. Oh, that was oh, an option. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. If you did, oh man. So the if team the player, if Wait, the so attendant, the... sorry. So does the attending next round have to save themselves again, or can they save someone new? The the attending can only save one person the entire game for one round. Oh, so they okay. they have to be strategic. Oh, of so course, of course. Hmm. And 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 after all, the first rule of medicine is what? Do no harm. Yeah. So they couldn't make a reasonable choice, so they chose not to. All right. Um. So let's see. One of you three. 
Look at all this! Look at all this innocence. Well, it, it could be you too, <laughs> couldn't it? Right. <laughs> you have a role in this. Well, yeah. yeah, but I know what my role is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know what our roles are. Should we trust him? Mm. I could I be. Know. I could be playing. I think you are, because he's also in Margaret's direct line. All he'd have to do is oh. open his yeah, eyes. do a little quick, quick look up. And I am a lazy person. I don't like to turn my head more than like two or three degrees at any given head movement. <laughs> so I think you're onto something there. <laughs> I feel like Margaret should still be able to participate. You know, Tenemay looks suspicious too. But he's, he's not I'm not, I'm not playing. I'm, I'm just, I'm just the observer. If you guys yeah. want tips, I can give you tips, but I'm just the observer. I mean, yes, he does. He does look suspicious, but that's just it's like a honey is. Okay. Little, I think. It's um, excuse you. me, you're dead. No. <laughs> she's yeah, talking. She's coming Marcus from beyond the grave. Yeah. She is now. She has now assumed the role of the medical examiner <laughs> and is testifying about her own death. Okay, it is nighttime, so heads down. Yeah. Now the attending. If you like to protect somebody, please look up and look at them now. The attending. Heads down. Now for the disease. To kill somebody, look up and kill now. Alright, heads down. Heads up. I'm sorry to inform you, but Dave has been slain. Oh! <laughs> oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Alright. Margaret, I feel your pain. Wait. <laughs> okay. It's round two. And then there was three. So now this is just Mar like, this is just knows like, what's going on. Okay. This is just like high school, you know, like, except for, you know, not being picked for the sport. Oh. You get killed immediately. I can feel that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I think it's Aja. You think yeah, that Aja is said what? much. Mm -hmm. I, I what do you think Aja is? That. What do you think that the I disease. am? The disease. Yeah. And you're, you're reasoning killer. behind it? Because you haven't had much input so far. You're just sitting there quietly observing what's going input on. Input can still be without any. No. <laughs> yeah, you can still no. observe. No, listen, she's been acting like she doesn't understand what's going on. She knows what's going on. Yeah, I think, I think she doesn't want to give away too much information. <laughs> right, she wants to be sneaky. Guys, Ahana actually, Ahani has been here. pointing fingers to everybody, so mm -hmm. she might be the You're one. You're dead. You Your body's dead. I would like to remind you guys that, that. If, if, if the department head is still alive, they have the ability to unilaterally... Um, Identify and cure the disease if they have an idea of who the disease is before the night comes So just don't forget that as well. Okay, and also okay. you guys could also decide by simple majority as well But the department head will always overrule simple majority one time. All right This Wait. is worse than the black plague quick question. <laughs> How would whoever the department chair is cure? The he just says The department head says all right, I think you are it and then Right. Interesting. The department mm. is shaking her leg. Mm. You know, you're thinking about, you're thinking about it's something? It's a nervous tick. I do it all the time. She's going into the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She said, hmm, interesting. So. But you over here shaking your leg like, yeah, you coming for somebody. <laughs> no. Okay? I'm not. Okay. I'm innocent. Till proven guilty. Look at that face. How could you believe No, that? Kirsten, she has been pointing her finger at everybody else. Well, would anyone be willing to point at themselves? Hey, guys, get me. Mm, no, that's not how this game is going to work. All right, the night is approaching. Heads down. I'm going to give the the department head a Wait, chance. Put my head down? Yeah, department head has a chance. If you would like to preemptively cure the disease, look up and look at who you want to cure. If you want to try, now's the chance, or you can wait. Okay, heads heads down. Now the 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 disease. Look up and look at who you want to kill. All right, heads down. Heads up. The department head, although tried and failed, unfortunately, Ohone was slain, which means it's game over. Ohone was the innocent, so yeah. the disease wins. And the, disease was, and the disease was Kirsten. <laughs> <laughs> she was, yeah. 
she was good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the fact that Tenemi said that he picked us for our characters based on something that he hasn't seen. So I guess it's a compliment saying that he hasn't seen me in any way looking like a killer. So thank you for that, Tenemi. <laughs> <laughs> and he hasn't seen me innocent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. no, we changed we changed the name so yeah um yeah i mean i i thought i wanted to push you guys' personalities the hardest that was the goal it, it was hard to decide who i wanted yeah. to piggy around i felt bad so yeah. i'm sorry i killed you guys <laughs> the challenge a real disease doesn't feel bad about about killing well that was fun yeah I like i've that. never played that game before so you know whatever that means I mean, it, it's challenging, but hopefully the listeners could follow it. Yeah. I tried to make as many viewers as possible. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you, can, you can always go back and re-listen. I will say that I want to thank you for for uh, <laughs> for coming in to talk today. It's been really interesting to hear from you guys, um, and I would like to remind our listeners before we go: don't forget to contribute your favorite recipes for medical student success at theshortcoat.com. Look for the orange button that says send in a recipe to add your delectable delight. And every contributor gets a free copy of the final cookbook, whatever form it takes, whenever that comes out. Contributors like Hannah and her Mediterranean Salat, Amanda and her Midnight Chicken, Kyle and his Chicken and Brown Rice Soup. I'm really enjoying reading uh, all of these uh, recipes, some of them crazy, some of them not. Um, We'll be putting a link to all the topics we've discussed in this episode show notes at theshortcode.com. But for now, that is our show. Uh, guys, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you, listeners, for making us a part of your week. If you like what you heard today, we hope we've earned your subscription. Not only do we give out free key fobs, but we give free advice, you know. So, uh, my, who knows? Could be good advice. Could be crap. But, you know, we do our best. So send your questions or whatever you like to theshortcodes at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox. And our closing music is by Catmosphere. Thanks, Taname. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk to you in one week. 